I'm Graham Lynch. This is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. This week, we have a bit of a theme. Um, mainly, uh, we're going to be talking about regional mobile infrastructure and, and, and the various issues around that. And th this is all um, brought to the fore this week by a parliamentary hearing in Canberra. Um, it was, it was uh, announced by the federal government with very little fanfare a couple of months back, and it's specifically into co-investment in multi-carrier regional mobile infrastructure. So a, a little obscure, um, but it, it's, it's brought forth a, a whole bunch of interesting, interesting submissions. And what we're highlighting this week is a submission and some testimony from Indara. Now, Indara, for those who um, might not be aware, is the new brand name for what was called the Australian Tower Network. This is ostensibly formed from the assets of Optus Towers and Axicom, uh, which were uh, acquired um, by this entity. It's, it's predominantly owned by Australian Super, but Optus, um, or specifically its owner, Sintel, retains a residual shareholding. And what they, what they did this week is propose a very interesting idea. That is that Australia should replicate what New Zealand does with its rural connectivity group, where basically... In New Zealand, the three carriers get together and operate a joint network in the rural parts of New Zealand uh, where um, there's no investment case for any of them to go out alone. Now, in Australia, we've tried to solve this issue by various means. Til Tilstra unilaterally went out and built a CDMA network um, back in the 1990s, uh, or the end of the 1990s, if you recall, with a bit of government money. Um, and that... that um, that was further expanded under Telstra CEO Sodra Hitho in, in the mid-2000s, who, who saw Telstra's big reach in the countryside as a brand advantage in the cities and, and pursued it. Subsequent to that, we've had um, things such as the mobile black sports funding, which in practice have predominantly funded Telstra to build its own um, extra towers um, across the country. And then there's been some, some more projects subsequent to that as well, um, you some multi-carrier infrastructure, no doubt about it. There is some sharing, you know, and 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 there are the beginnings of some neutral host infrastructure, but it's definitely not the modality that the market operates under right now. Now, in the last few months, of, as you'll be aware, if you've been listening to this podcast and reading Comms Day, um, Tilstra and TBG have proposed a a, a joint network. Uh, which will operate in basically in the last sort of 17% of the population, um, where basically TPG trades some spectrum in and uh, Telstra trades its network in and they jointly operate a network. This has put Optus out of joint. Um, so uh, that, that's how we've got to here. And now what Indara is saying is, well, why don't all three operators get together and someone like Indara can be the honest broker, the, the, the neutral party that runs the network. And what, what's perhaps most novel about what Indara is proposing is that they also propose not just to run passive towers, but an active network on top of it um, and, and provide, and even some talk of even providing the backhaul. So it, it, it's an interesting new model. Let's hear what Indara themselves had to say about it at the parliamentary hearing this week. And first up, We'll hear from Jason Hawley. Indara submits that the full scale and scope of the positive opportunities that co-investment in multi-carrier regional infrastructure presents as compelling, especially 
when taken in the context of the broader related market developments. And in particular, given the emergence of the independent tower companies, so you know, each of the mobile network operators or MNOs have divested their towers to, into either Amplitel, Indara or Wavecon, a significant opportunity exists uh, for these entities to be able to build uh, and manage shared infrastructure, especially where uh, market failure exists. Uh, the presentation that forms part of this submission goes into detail around the financial benefits of multi-carrier deployment approach and highlights the practical uh, benefits in a few case studies that we provided at the end of the presentation. Uh, Indara own and operate 4,400 towers and rooftops uh, across Australia uh, in all states and territories and we're currently building 600 new towers to support the digitalisation of many communities. All MNOs make extensive use of our assets, as do approximately 200 other businesses, including emergency services, wireless internet service providers, broadcasters and community service organisations. Uh, Indara's business, it's all centred around the principle of providing shared access to mobile infrastructure. Uh, which we also um, refer to as passive uh, infrastructure sharing. The business model is proven to be efficient, to be effective, and to be a logical way to deploy mobile networks on a global basis, so it's become very mature. Indara believes that in areas where the mobile market is commercially competitive, that passive infrastructure sharing is a superior deployment model. Uh, we believe that because it enables carriers to deploy their own technologies such as 5G and 6G, and also to compete in how they use the spectrum bands that they um, acquire, most of which is specifically licensed to them. However, in areas where there's market failure and areas that are unable to justify the, a single carrier's investment, such as black spot areas, we believe it makes a lot of sense for um, a greater level of sharing, not just passive infrastructure sharing, but also active infrastructure sharing. Okay, and um, then Matt Healy uh, continued on um, talking about uh, the Indara plan. It's clear that the investment won't happen in these more remote areas because there's no incentive to invest because there's no return that flows. So if, we, if the community wants the service there for both public um, safety reasons as well as participation in the um, society kind of equity reasons then we say for that investment to take place it has to be by public funding and we say that the way to invest though is to ensure that that funding is as efficient as possible and is as value for money for the community and the um, and so the model we propose is one where we can accommodate the emergency services, we can accommodate the choice of all three mobile network operators, can all be available off that site, and that um, indeed new technology and investments that come along can also locate on that tower so that there's uh, you know, a pathway to more and better services for that community. And that will only be done if there's public funding because the market there's market failure there. There is no way that an operator can get a commercial return. And if you think about, say, a, 
a TPG that only has a smaller market share generally in, a, in the regions has an even smaller market share, um, there's no business case for them to go and uh, pay to put equipment on an Indara tower. It yeah. doesn't make sense. So we say that there's, there, is, um, there is the need, there is the community interest, the gap there is in the funding, and hence we think not just to fund, which has happened in the past, one operator to go and, you know, put up a tower and put their own equipment on it and no one else's equipment and then essentially have their own little monopoly there out in the region for that particular site and that area. We say, well, that's not really the value for money and that's not really where um, the, the, uh, the technology and the movement is happening globally. Globally, we're seeing these independent tower companies now rather than just individual mobile network providers, these mobile tower companies going, we'll put shared infrastructure there, all of the um, mobile companies can use it, and uh, it's also space for uh, emergency services and fixed wireless operators to also be there. And that model is very efficient. It's not duplicating unnecessary panels and things. It's not using extra power to get to that site that's not really being used uh, effectively. Um, but again, it needs to be underpinned by public funding. And that's what that's a better use of the black spot funding type model. We say today that the, the market's moved and structured itself to deliver this, and now it's a case of aligning the public money with that investment to deliver a much more effective outcome for the, for the citizen. Okay, moving on. We'll stay on the theme of regional mobile infrastructure sharing and this inquiry in Canberra. Now, they only took a in-person hearing with Indara this week, but they did publish a bunch of submissions from other stakeholders. And to talk about some of them, I am joined by none other than the executive editor of Comms Day, Mr. Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. Good morning, Graham. Um, now, the Northern Territory government uh, had a very interesting submission, I thought. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so I think it's actually um, this 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 could prove to be quite an interesting inquiry, actually, judging from the, some of the material coming in, and I guess the kind of like the context of all the focus around uh, active sharing, potentially passive sharing. Obviously, the other bit of context is the potential TPG deal with Telstra in regional areas. So the Northern Territory government um, made, like you said, made quite an interesting submission. Um, obviously. NT has some of the biggest kind of uh, uh, telecommunications challenges in Australia, probably only comparable to like parts of WA really in terms of the challenges, um, including uh, one of the things that the government highlighted was there is 300 Indigenous communities that have no telecommunications services at all in the NT and also 95% of highways lack mobile coverage. So that gives you a sense of the kind of scale of the challenges. So one one thing that the NT government has basically suggested is that potentially Leosats could be a... Um, a solution to this challenge. And, and so maybe that co-funding programs should kind of look in that direction, particularly as we see the emergence of more direct-to-handset capabilities. Obviously, in the US, you can see um, the latest model of the iPhone uh, supports emergency SMS via satellite. Um, Starlink Starlink has got a kind of alliance. They form with T-Mobile US to look at this kind of thing. And obviously, in Australia, we've seen both Telstra and Optus have a pretty keen interest in the space, including Optus's recent test with um, Link Global in, uh, sending an SMS via satellite. 
I'm um, also obviously Vokas is another player in the Lewis hat space in, in Australia too. So it'd be interesting to see like, um, you know, I guess both whether we could see co-funding programs kind of head in the direction of like supporting satellite services instead of like terrestrial mobile coverage. And I guess also what's it going to mean for the kind of conversation around the universal service obligation? Obviously, I was just thinking today, I think it's got like the, the current USO contract has 10 years left to run. Um, but I imagine after that decade, things are going to look very, very different. Indeed, indeed. Um, now, on the theme, you also had a look at what Amplitel, which is the Towerco spun off from Telstra, had to say. And um, they, they have a, a slightly different emphasis to uh, Indara, um, don't they? Yeah, so Amplitel really kind of focused on two areas. One, one is that... Um, you know, emphasising that uh, co-funding programs should support tower construction uh, in those areas where it wouldn't otherwise be feasible. The other one that they really focused on was kind of removing some of the impediments to uh, tower construction. Um, and one interesting thing I thought actually was that, uh, you know, uh, non-carrier non mobile um, infrastructure providers such as tower codes don't necessarily have access to the full kind of range of exemptions that you see for actual carriers. So Amplitel raised the issue of the kind of low impact facilities determination and said that this should actually both apply to providers of infrastructure that aren't carriers themselves, but also it should be extended to cover like towers at least in some cases. So for example, you know, it could... It, it could cover towers that are like under a particular height or they're in like industrial zones, all those are in regional areas and are intended to support carriers. And I guess like just making that point that this would really you know, decrease the kind of financial barriers to um, construction in some of these areas. Um, the other thing actually that they raised was a question around like governments and government agencies as landlords and actually uh, urging them to reconsider the kind of rents that they charge to um, tower companies. Okay, terrific summation. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers. Okay, moving on, we're joined by Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Comms Day. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Okay, now you um, had the pleasure of sitting through a two-hour New South Wales Telco Authority Innovation webinar this week, um, and lots of lots of interesting people spoke on it. So, t tell us about what you what you uh, picked up on there. Yeah, Graham, they're really interesting sessions. Uh, you know, you've got to uh, put it to the uh, Telco Authority for organising these things. Uh, there was probably about a hundred people on uh, listening in as well. Uh, the key thing for me was picking up the uh, NEC uh, speaker because, uh, as we know, they're one of five uh, of the uh, bidders going for the uh, upgrade, MBN 750 million wireless uh, network upgrade, along with Ericsson, Nokia, Samsung and Saragon. So uh, if you look at uh, MBN, uh, sorry, I should say NEC, They've always been the flag bearer for Open RAN. Uh, they've got a whole number of uh, investments around the world, and they've also started championing it in Australia as well. So I, I was in the position to put the question regarding Open RAN for fixed wireless because, of course, there was uh, rumours that uh, MBN uh, potentially would be looking at an Open RAN solution. 
and uh, as part of this upgrade. And of course, uh, that would have placed uh, NEC quite high. And uh, in fact, uh, the spokesperson, uh, Christian Somm from NEC, suggested that, uh, in fact, Open RAN for fixed wireless is not quite ready for prime time yet. As you can imagine, Open RAN's being built for mobile networks, and so it's got a lot of extra functionality in there, which actually you don't need for fixed wireless. And so because of that, it becomes quite an expensive proposition if you're only going to be using the application for fixed wireless access. So uh, you can pretty much rule out that when MBN comes out uh, with their announcement on their um, uh, vendor of choice, that uh, even if NEC is still in it, they're probably not going to be running an open RAN uh, solution as part of that. So that was quite an interesting thing. Now, uh, I should uh, caveat all of that with the fact that they're still very bullish about how open RAN is going to go. Their vision uh, is in the next one to two years, they believe that uh, 10% of most telco networks globally will have elements of open RAN in them. So, you know, that's going to be quite a shift from today where we only have two commercial networks, essentially. So uh, the key thing that uh, he also uh, pointed out was how much government is pushing Open RAN. Uh, you know uh, we've written quite a lot about the Quad Alliance uh, calling for more vendors and uh, open radio access networks. But, of course, political will doesn't necessarily make for commercial wills. So, you know, you've got to see how that uh, really plays out. Needless to say... NEC has uh, already done a deal with uh, the Northern Territory government and an MAU uh, and Open RAN 5G is one of the things I'll be looking at. Uh, it's also uh, pointed out the fact that the Department of Home Affairs Secure G Connectivity Test Lab is also going to be focusing on Open RAN uh, being, you know, front and centre in that as well. So his, his message was, you know, we're looking at one to two years and it's a question of when, not if. And uh, the key thing with that is that he also mentioned that it might actually be for future Gs. So, in fact, uh, Open RAN could be something that is prevalent in 6G rather than 5G. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Now, one of the other uh, interesting uh, discussions was there was uh, from New South Wales Telco Authority Product Development Director Daniel Wright, who was talking about some of the results of some Starlink trials uh, that they've been delivered as part of the New South Wales Digital Restart Fund which uh, is part of uh, digital.newsouthwales. And uh, that particular program is seeking to streamline government processes through digitisation. So uh, Daniel was talking about the uh, trials out in Daniloquin uh, with an RFS site uh, that set up some temporary accommodation and uh, support staff uh, little units and uh, put a bunch of um, terminals, uh, Starlink terminals out there, and they were able to support 180 to 200 concurrent devices, transferring 60 to 80 gigabytes a day across a mesh network and servicing about an area of 100 to 200 square uh, metres. And uh, he was keen to emphasise that going forward, this could be a really good solution for very quick deployment and connectivity uh, for a lot of government agencies. And that sort of taps into what Rowan was saying earlier about what the Northern Territory is suggesting. Indeed, indeed. Um, now, moving on, but also related in, in a, a similar fashion, um, same state, New South Wales, um, an update on um, their gig state program this week and a, a new tender award. 
That's right, Graham. This one was interesting because it wasn't a big uh, network award win, but the key thing about it was that it was MBNCO actually winning the award to build out a, uh, a network out to 800 homes of businesses in the so-called Cobar Corridor, um, going to upgrade those from satellite to fixed wireless. Now, uh, you know, it was a 2.6 million contract, but the key for this is this is all down to an outbreak of common sense by the New South Wales government. Uh, if you look at what we're looking at now, which is gig state mark two, uh, the original uh, gig state proposition essentially was actually proposing mini MBN fiber networks and massive overbuild right across the state, uh, right through some of the key uh, uh, cities like Wagga Wagga Parks and Dubbo. Now, obviously, there's been a, quite a massive rethink, and they understand now with Mark II that they want to refocus on the underserved regional areas and improve internet services in areas that what they say have left behind the market in the market. And of course, a lot of those areas uh, are where MBN satellite is as well. So instead of turning around and becoming uh, MBN Mark II in competition, they're actually collaborating, which is pretty similar to how the Victorian government was actually looking at uh, MBM because, of course, uh, as uh, the government spokespeople pointed out to me, that uh, MBN's announcement of business fibre across many of the same regional towns and um, the new overlays in fibre FTTN and FTTZ zones, plus also the wireless um, upgrade, has essentially meant that the digital uh, connectivity outcomes can be achieved at a much lower cost. And they had a funny term uh, they talked about, they're getting more banned for the buck, uh, essentially, which uh, means that they can see that the investment the federal government and MBN are putting into this actually allows them to piggyback and probably extend the network a little bit further than what they were hoping to do in the first place. So... You know, I think uh, it's uh, kudos to the New South Wales government uh, for getting this right. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. And uh, we will probably see uh, that last week um, the grants for the 60 million closed for the Gig State Grant Program. And uh, I think that the money will be on some of those will have some Leosat involvement as per some of the other discussions we've been hearing this week. Indeed, and, and I, I do love that. More band for the buck. Thank you very much for updating us, Simon. That's okay, Graham. Okay, and that's it for Commerce Day Live this week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back next week, and uh, I think it'll be our, la no, our second last episode before we break for the year. Bye-bye.